Loneliness has become an epidemic in the 21st century. And it's not just a result of COVID-19. In January of 2018, the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness to deal with the sad reality in British life. They found that 9 million people in the United Kingdom said they were extremely lonely. 200,000 of them had not had a conversation with a friend or a relative in a month. In fact, last year, the Brits established a Loneliness Awareness Week to try to deal with the problem. In Japan, researchers have found that there are 4,000 what they term lonely deaths per week. An article in the New York Times put it this way, the extreme isolation of elderly Japanese is so common that an entire industry has emerged around it. Specializing in cleaning out apartments where decomposing remains are found. No one knew because there had been no contact for months. And it's not found just in other countries. A survey here in the United States this past year, last winter, found that 61% of Americans said they are lonely, and it has only increased with COVID. Interestingly, the age group that was the, loneliness in this, the loneliest in this study was Generation Z, sometimes called iGen, those who were born between 1997 and 2012. They are the age group that is most connected by social media, but the loneliest in our country. Many said they had absolutely no friends. Two-thirds of them said they were lonely. Loneliness is an emotional response to isolation, to a lack of connection. And the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual costs today are devastating. It is indeed an epidemic in our time. It's interesting that in the ancient Middle East, they had an antidote, a cure for loneliness. It was a shared meal and hospitality. Food and drink were central. And it was shared not only with friends and with relatives, but also with strangers and sojourners. They wanted to ensure that there were no lonely people among them, and so they invited people for a meal and for drink. All of this, of course, was quite commendable, but it raised a very interesting problem for Christians in the first century because these meals were frequently part of pagan worship. And that's the backdrop of the text that Stacy just read for us a moment ago. Paul lays out the concerns in verses 19 and 20. On the one hand, he is saying that the idols are nothing, and so at one level, don't worry about them. But then he goes on, on to say that in the meal itself, it involved religious rituals, and the belief was you were participating with the gods. And so in verse 20, he says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Paul, in place of the meal that was shared in the ancient Near East, 
sets forth another meal of hospitality for believers, a meal that binds us to the God of the universe, a meal that binds us to the community that confesses this God in Jesus Christ. It is, of course, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, a meal that we will share together today. Now, you may scratch your head and say, well, what in the world does this have to do with loneliness? I think there's several things, several connections that are made in this passage. First of all, the Lord's Supper is a participation with Christ. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Down through the history of the Christian church, there have been various interpretations of what transpires in this meal. One view is that it's a memorial service. The elements are symbols jogging our minds back to Calvary and what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. A second view is that there is a real physical presence of Christ in the elements, and there are several subsets of this view. But literally, one takes of the body and the blood of Christ in the Eucharist. And then a third view is that Christ is spiritually present in the elements. And so that when we come to the Lord's table, we experience Christ in a very unique, special way, a spiritual presence that nurtures our own life. Now, I take this latter view. It was the view of John Calvin. It's been the prevalent view in the Presbyterian Church down through the years. And part of it is based on this verse in 16, that in the cup we partake, we have communion, we have fellowship, with Christ's blood, and we partake of Christ's body, not in a literal sense, but in a real spiritual sense. You will recall that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before his death, as he gave the elements to his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. When we come to Christ in faith, it's not merely a forgiveness of our sins. It's not merely a declaration before God that we are now in right standing with Him. But we also come into a very deep, personal, mystical union or bond with Christ. There's a very personal element to our salvation. In fact, the most common description of a follower of Christ in the New Testament is that he or she is in Christ. In fact, the term in Christ and the Lord in him occurs 164 times in Paul's epistles. We are joined to Christ. We are joined to the Creator, the Redeemer of the universe. In some places, Jesus even calls us his friends. And so when we come to this meal, we in a very special way partake of him. There are other elements, of course, where this occurs in the Christian life, in prayer and in scripture reading. We experience the nearness and the presence of God. He comes to us in a very present, in a very personal way. And so this is a meal that nourishes our soul, drawing us deeper into his presence 
and deeper into his power. John, the sixth chapter, the theme is Jesus is the bread of life, and there are Lord's Supper overtones throughout that chapter. But in verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, Christ satisfies the deepest longings of the human heart. And when we come to this meal, the Lord's Supper, we experience in a very personal, profound, and yes, perhaps mysterious way that ultimate truth that in Christ alone our hope is found. In Christ is the answer, the ultimate answer to human loneliness. For when you come to this meal, you spiritually communion with him. You experience his presence, the presence of the one who created you and who redeemed you and will never, ever leave you alone. A number of years ago, I was pastoring in, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And one day, a young woman who worked on the Hill came to see me. She was going through, she had confessed Christ as Savior and Lord, but was going through some deep struggles in her spiritual life, kind of struggle that has sometimes been called the dark night of the human soul. She was going through doubts about Christ, about the resurrection, about the Bible. God seemed far away. And she wondered whether in this state of mind it was okay to still come to the Lord's Supper. And I said to her, I think you need it now more than ever. A couple of months later, she stopped by to chat after the service. And I said, how are things going? And she said, the doubts have really begun to wane and I've begun to experience Christ in a new way. And I said, what's made the difference? I expected to hear that she had read some new apologetics book, some new rational argument that somehow had sent the doubts away in her life. And she said it was really in coming to the table that I began to experience Christ anew and afresh. I now saw him as friend and the doubts began to subside. She said there, I met Christ as friend. Being in Christ and coming to this table, we overcome the isolation and the aloneness, the estrangement that is so prevalent today. There we experience Christ as friend. There's an old gospel song. I haven't heard it in years. The words go like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And in a similar way, in our moments of aloneness, we come to the table for the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ. But there's another way in which communion enables us in our moments of loneliness. And that is the Lord's Supper is a participation in the body of Christ, his people, his community. Verse 17, 
Because there is one bread, and a number of translations, and I think rightly have it, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Here, I think it's very clear that there's a twofold way that we experience the body of Christ in this meal. We partake of the bread, which is spiritually, is his body that died for us, nurturing us. But the body of Christ is also his people. And therefore, when we come to the table, we are experiencing Christ, but we are also experiencing something in a fresh and powerful way of his body, his people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When you come to Christ in faith, you come into his body. I've heard people say, well, I want Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Can't have it that way. Because if you come to faith in Christ, you come into the body of Christ, which is the church, and is to be manifest in local congregations such as ours. Just as Christ's body was once present here on earth, lived among us, died, rose again physically, so his body now continues on earth, but it continues with us. We are the body of Christ. Those who confess him as Savior and Lord are now the body of Jesus Christ. And one of the places this is most evident is we, when we come to the Lord's table. At the beginning of this verse, it says, because there is one loaf. This no doubt had kind of a double reference. On the one hand, from what we can understand in the early church, they always shared from one loaf when they came to the table. And they did so because it referred to the fact that when they came to this table, they were a body, a unity of his people. And in that unity at the table with one loaf, they evidenced the reality both of Christ and the body of Christ, the people connected. John Chrysostom was a great preacher, writer, Christian writer in the fourth century. And commenting on this text, he said, the body of Christ is not many bodies, but one body. For just as the bread which consists of many grains is made one to the point that the separate grains are no longer visible, even though they are still there. So we are joined to each other and to Christ. And if we are all nourished by the same source and become one with him, why do we not also show forth the same love and become one together in him? Partaking as one body brings us out of isolation, out of loneliness, into the unity of the community of Christ's people, his body. But sadly, we have to acknowledge that historically, this meal of one loaf has been one of the most divisive in Christian history. Sometimes the divisions have been over interpretations of what the Lord's meal is all about. In some churches, they have forbade people even to come to the table if you were not of their tribe, of their denomination. The divisiveness of the church was evidenced during the period when the church sadly but too often embraced chattel slavery. 
Initially, slaveholders and supporters of slavery could not countenance Christ, uh, slaves becoming Christians because it would mean they were coming to the same table. One historian writing about this period said, from a social standpoint, association with the imported slave was extremely objectionable. For to mingle with him in church or to receive him on terms of equality at the communion table was not only undesirable, but positively dangerous. And it was dangerous. And fortunately, the true word of God won the day, for it was precisely texts like this that fueled the abolition movement. And in the 18th century, a pastor in Cambridge, England said, in the central rite of communion, slaves and slaveholders ate together as brothers and sisters in Christ, undercutting earthly hierarchies, and it subverted the whole system of slavery. Amazing to think about that. When we come to Jesus' meal, we experience the reality of Christ, but the reality of being one loaf in Christ. We are part of each other. None of us are ever to be alone, and it is made so visible and so powerful and real at the table of our Lord. For in the one loaf, the hurts of another become my hurts. The loneliness of another becomes my burden, my responsibility, my opportunity. Unfortunately, most of us have grown up in a culture that has heralded and celebrated individualistic, self-sufficient, do-it-yourself approach to life. American culture has been highly individualistic. A few years ago, after Marianne's mother passed away, we were cleaning out some things in uh, the apartment and found some children's books. Marianne doesn't remember actually ever having read this book, fortunately. Uh, but it's a book that heralds self-sufficient individualism. I thought I'd read it to you this morning. It's called Busy Timmy. Timmy is a big boy. He can put on his outdoor clothes all by himself. He goes down the steps with his big pail and shovel. He climbs into the sandbox all by himself. No one has to help him. He's a big boy now. A robin sees Timmy and comes flying. A squirrel sees Timmy and comes running. A rabbit sees Timmy and comes hopping. They all watch Timmy make little holes and big hills in the cool white sand all by himself. Timmy rides his horse all around the flower bed. Around and around he goes, then back home again. He goes up the steps and opens the door all by himself. Timmy gets ready for his bath. No one has to help him. He's a big boy now. Interestingly, there's not a picture of another human being in this book. The parents are even absent. He splashes in the bathtub and sails his new boat. He puts on his own bib and holds his own cup. He eats all his supper with no help at all. Timmy brushes his teeth and climbs into bed all by himself. Hush, says the rabbin, rabbit, robin. Hush, says the squirrel. Shh, says the rabbit. Timmy is a big boy, and he is sound asleep. And yes, Timmy is a big boy, and you are big too, 
Temi does lots of things, and so can you all by yourself. That may be good American culture. It's lousy biblical Christianity. We never come to Christ alone. We're never to exist as believers alone, all by yourself. And when we come to this table today, we are reminded of that reality, that we are one in Christ, and therefore we are one with each other, for we partake of the one loaf. The Christian church around the world comes together from every tribe and nation and ethnic group and language group, every different personality type we can imagine. But at the table with one loaf, the old divides give way to the beauty of our oneness in the midst of our diversity. And the loneliness of our world gives way to the connectedness of the one body in Jesus Christ. Indeed, loneliness is a dreaded condition. And from our text today, I think it's clear there should never be a lonely person in the church. There should never be a lonely person at Westminster Presbyterian. I'm grateful for the fact that this church exhibits a great deal of community and caring. I think it was one of the things that drew Marianne and I to the church when we moved here in retirement two and a half years ago. As I've talked to many of you who found your way to Westminster, it's that sense of community that has been uh, one of the things so pronounced and so prevalent. And my hope and prayer is that it continues, that it never goes away. We have to remember that sometimes our greatest strengths actually end up being our greatest weaknesses because we become complacent. We come to this table and we experience a way out of loneliness where we commune with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. We commune with him in a very special way to share intimately with the God who created us, the God who redeemed us. And it is a great antidote in the world to human loneliness. For the cup of blessing that we bless, it is a sharing in the blood of Christ. And the bread that we break, it is a sharing in the body of Christ. But in this meal, we also partake in the one loaf, the body of Christ, the community of believers gathered here together today. A people called to love God, a people called to love each other amidst the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our lives. As we come to the table today, we are reminded that the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. There are no earthly divisions. There are to be no lonely people. There are to be no barriers at this table. Because there is one loaf, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf together as his people. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you entered into our world in a most personal way, that you died, that you rose again, you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us, 
And we are grateful that you instituted this meal as a way in which we experience together a new and a fresh way the presence and the power of Christ in our lives. Through this meal, may our oneness be evident. May our love for you be strengthened and deepened. In the name of Christ, our Creator, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.